0: Sorry to thank you, Ken, for those announcements. As you know, we are having our Seder Supper. Seder is uh, an exciting time uh, for us, for those of us that have done it. This is our 17th year, I think. I think it's our seventeenth, 13th or 17th. It's been, we've been doing this consecutively for a long time. And just to let you know how that happened to us and for us, excuse me. Seder, number one, is, is the order. And everyone has a booklet or a Hagada that they read through. We have a Haggadah that all of us are going to receive. They're all going to get one. And Seder is the order in which Passover is done. There is a specific order that every Jewish family does this. Now, when we do our Seder, we don't do it because we're Jewish. We don't do it because we want to be Jewish. We do it to show you how every element, every part of that order Points to Jesus Christ. Jesus held it with his disciples. His disciples held it every year until the, uh, the destruction of the temple in, uh, for, in 70 AD. 40 years after Jesus Christ was crucified and, and resurrected, uh, 37 years if you want to be exact. And, and after he had resurrected, they continued to hold this Passover meal. And they started to see how all these pieces fit Jesus Christ. So on that Sunday, which is Palm Sunday, the Sunday before Easter, what we will do is we won't meet in here. We'll meet in the fellowship hall. We'll have the table set up really nice and neat and have a very formal dining is what it is. And the way the Jewish people hold it is they all dress up formally. You can come formally. You can come uh, uh, casual. It Really, it's up to you. But they dress up very formally and in a, in a hurry, in a sense. This is how they had it the first time. Passover meal in Egypt so we we come we bring our food and we have just very basic food we'll have lamb uh, for those of you that like lamb there's some of you just you know it has a gamey taste if you want to just taste a little bit we'll have some there we'll have some Also some brisket, I believe, and maybe some chicken or whatever. But we'll have rice and beans and very simple, very basic. And we'll have some matzah as well. And as I mentioned, if you want to participate in it and you want to bring something, you can. And and we can all enjoy that together. We start at 10 o'clock. This is a two-hour service. It's all done in the fellowship hall. We go through this Haggadah as we read through it. And right in the middle of this whole service, we'll have a meal that's the best part. (laughs) We will get to eat in church. Uh, There's no singing. It's just going through this whole thing together. And the way we, (coughs) excuse me, the way we started it a long time ago is I was preaching through the the Bible and we came to a portion of scripture. I said, you know, for the next five weeks, I'm going to show you that worship is more than music. Okay, so in order to share that with you and help you understand that worship is music is a big part of worship. That's what we do. But worship is our life. Worship is our lifestyle. Worship is what we who we are, what we do. And singing is part of that. And I said, for the next five weeks, we're not going to have any music. Well, you can imagine some people said, well, what are you going to do? You know, what do we mean no music? And I says, okay, at least one Sunday. And so we, we moved it over there to show that that is a big part of worship as well. So uh, we have a good time. Invite your friends. Invite your family. Come share with us. Learn about the Passover meal, about Jesus Christ. Uh, the only thing that I ask is that you uh, make a reservation. Uh, you might think, well, a reservation, really? <laughs> yeah, so a, a bunch of people do show up. Some, some people like to come to this uh, from other churches, and so we invite them as well. And we're going to send out a flyer. We're going to send out some I mail mean, out to get people to come. If you've been wanting to invite somebody to our church, bring them to this meal. This it, It's free. We don't charge anybody. All we ask is that you bring something that's on the list that'll provide for, I think, what did we say, 10 people, 5 people? Yeah. Ten people, yeah. You know, so if you're gonna bring mashed potatoes, bring enough for ten people. You know, that's all we ask, and then help serve it. Or you know, we'll have servers, and every table is going to have a table leader. And don't worry about being the table leader. All you have to do is follow me. I'll ask you to pick up the pitcher, and if you can pick up a pitcher, you're, you're fine. And if you can pour it into a glass, we're gonna pour that glass at least three or four times within the meal. Uh, we'll have a. a, a a bowl of water that everyone needs to wash their hands in. Very ceremonially, you just kind of dip your hands in the water like this and like this. And let it flow down. We'll have a towel. You'll pass the towel around. As a matter of fact, that bowl and that towel, at that time, there's two times that they do this. And the second time is when Jesus Christ washed the disciples' feet. He picked up the bowl. In this whole certain, I'm telling you, it just points to Jesus Christ all the way around. So, so and I'm just going to be asking you. You'll, you'll be probably overseeing your family and maybe another guest if possible. And what you'll do is you'll, you'll pass that bowl around. You'll pass the towel around. You'll pass the, the juice. You'll serve the juice. That's, that's it. You're not, you don't have a speaking part. And so I don't want you to worry and, and be stressed out about it, okay? But uh, yes, uh, and I'm going to ask every, every uh, head of the household, every man to, to be able to take care of this. We have some people that will be able to sit with you. If, if you don't have a head of the household in your family, that will be able to uh, help you in, this, in this, um, this whole meal that we're going to take over. I implore you, uh, if, be here. I'll do all you can to be here that Sunday. That's Palm Sunday, um, April the 10th, right? That's what we have. Okay, we have. Do we have flyers back there? Did you get them? I know we have some. She, she made some. My wife made some. So if you can find them, I think they're in the... I'll give her a call. Yeah, she's not feeling well today, so she's not here. And she'll let you know where they're at. Okay, for the rest of you, good to see you guys. It's good to see everybody here. Uh, open up, yes. Hello. <laughs> Mike, yeah. Smiley face. Uh, there's a few of you missing that are watching online, Joan, uh, we appreciate your, your participation. Uh, uh, Lucy, uh, thank you for watching. I really appreciate uh, you, you uh, chiming in, and, and Rick, and uh, if you have times from, if you can, whenever you can. And uh, I've, uh, Terry, I know Terry does too, so we do have a congregation that is out, And uh, so I just want, I want to say thank you to everybody that's participating. Open up your Bibles. I said something yesterday that was very uh, telling to a group of men that that I was meeting with yesterday morning and I said somebody had asked what is it that we no longer need in our life and uh, I called up the radio station it was a radio station that they were trying to say well we don't longer need VCRs we no longer need this and I chimed in I said, well we no longer need our Bibles Christian radio station what what do you mean we no longer need our Bibles yeah we don't need we don't need our Bibles anymore Well, why do you say that I says well, because I, all I have to do, and I didn't tell them I was a pastor, well, all I have to do is go to church, and it's already provided for me on the screen. I already have it on a piece of paper. I already, you know, I don't, I don't even need, my, they even tell me not to bring my Bible, because it might be offensive. And so we don't need our Bibles, because we have it on our phones, we have it on our laptops, we have it on our tablets. We don't need our Bibles. And well they were pretty adamant, I said, that's, not just, that's just not right. But if you think about it, you know, the church, we have done a disservice to you. And I ask you every time, we provide you the verses up here. We provide you a handout to take home. But I ask you every time to open up your Bibles. You need to have the written word in your hand. And I know some of you have it in your phones. I know some of you have it in your laptops. And that's great. You have it, you have it accessible to you. You have to have a Bible. If you don't have a Bible, I mean, they're not that expensive. Online, 20 bucks, I think. You can even get a, a nice one for 20. We have some. I will give you. We were giving them out to those we were baptizing. And uh, if you need a Bible, we we follow the English Standard Version. It's a little bit more word for word of the, of the Greek and the Hebrew. Some of you have the King James Version, which is probably a little bit more stricter, word for word. Some of you have the New Living Translation, which is more thought for thought. So there's it all depends on what translation you want to get. But if you follow along with us, we are with the English Standard Version. There is no authorized version. And, and I know I say this and it's going to just get some people upset. The King James Version is the authorized version of the Bible. You know, okay, I, I don't mean to upset you if you can read it and you understand it, great. But the actual authorized version is the Hebrew, just so you know. It's God's language, Hebrew to his Hebrew people. And, and if you want to get a little more technical, it's Greek, Aramaic, and Hebrew. So the English translation, it's been translated is is. Closely as it could to the the Greek and the Hebrew and the Aramaic. And some people really enjoy it and love it. And that's great. However, we are using the English Standard Version. And you'll see. Yes, we have flyers back there. Thank you. And you'll see that uh, the English Standard and the King James Version are somewhat close too. Except we have a lot of. We've polished the ESV. We, not we. I had nothing to do with it. We've polished it a little bit more. There I go again. We. It is polished a little bit more to be able to comprehend it. Because we no longer talk with these and those and thusses. Or maybe some of you do. I don't know. You know, but open up your Bible. Bring a Bible. Have a Bible readily handy. You have one. I know you do. You got to have it on your possession because we're going to get into this portion of Scripture that that begs for you to have a sword in your hand. It's just it's it's the it's the battle that we're in, and the full armor of God. God doesn't say just partly armor, part of the armor, not just bring your shield of faith, which is good. Not only put your helmet on, which is the helmet of salvation, or some good shoes that are shot in the gospel of peace. Paul says, put on the full armor of God. Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 6 and continue on in the portion of Scripture that we've been in. And as I mentioned to you, this is going to take us a little bit of time. We're going to go through Ephesians 6. It's the last portion of of what Paul is trying to get to get to uh, through to us, because he says in verse ten, finally, okay, after all I've told you about uh, submitting to one another, about submitting husbands, uh, wives submitting to your husbands, husbands submitting to your wives, children submitting to your parents, parents submitting to your children. And if you're wondering, how does a parent submit to the child, I'd like for you to get the message and listen to it. Because how we submit to our children is we love them and we encourage them and we don't exasperate them, expect way more than they are capable of doing. They're only four, five and six. And we talk to them like adults. Don't you understand I don't know what I'm supposed to understand. Clean your room. And so they go in and they just make a, a pathway and it's clean to them. But they don't understand that we meant for them to pick up all the clothes and put their toys away and, unless we tell them. And once they understand that, then they can be held accountable. But, but there's a way that, uh, that we can submit to our, our children, children to their parents, bosses to their employees, employees to their bosses. And so how we do this, all of this, if you're living the life that God has called you to live, walk in the worthy manner. If you're imitating God, if you're serving one another, if you're loving one another, and, and, and if this is all happening, then you can, you can guarantee that you are going to get opposition from the enemy. Now, some, some of you that have been coming here for some time or have been trying to draw close to God, wherever you may be, whether at church or at home or a different place, some of you have experienced that opposition. You've felt it. And you've sensed it. You know there's something else going on. Why is this person so agitated at me? And we're going to find out that Paul says, you're not fighting against each other, flesh and blood. These are the powers and the principalities and the authorities in this demonic age that we're in. They are the ones that are manipulating and so what I want to do is give you a theology of who God is. I want, Excuse me, I want to, we've been talking about God, but I want to give you a theology of who Satan is. Now, we don't start with Satan. We never do. We never start with him. We never start by trying to cast him out, trying to bind him, trying to throw him out, trying to beat him up. The Bible has nothing to say about binding, casting, wrestling, beating up Satan. For, for a, a church to start off, and, and this is, I've been to a few. For a church to start off by the very first words, proclaiming satan not that they're worshiping satan but that's their focus and then they start binding casting and everything else you see there is a way that spiritual warfare is to take place and it's good to know what the bible says this is why i want you to have a bible in your hands amen this is where you're going to get your information from this is where i'm getting my information from and i'm passing it on to you and i want you to see what the word of god is not some preacher, some eloquent preacher, not somebody that believes and thinks because there is deception. First of all, let's go back to Ephesians chapter 6. And I'm going to start again with 10, 11. And, uh, and just 10 and 11. Finally, the Bible says, Paul tells us, here is in Ephesus, Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of The devil, Father in heaven, we come this morning, first and foremost, to recognizing you. When we stand in your strength and in your power, we can start to recognize the schemes of the devil. We don't start with the devil. We don't start with the enemy. We we are not even trying to fight or bind or cast out or whatever it is that people proclaim. We don't need a conference. We don't need a, a work seminar. We don't need people preaching to us on how to fight the enemy. All we need to do is stand in your strength and in your power. And we come to you right now standing in that that power. I don't have authority over anyone, lest myself, lest anyone else. And the authority that I I am able to stand in is in your name. The name that's above every name. The name of Jesus. The sweetest name of all. The name that when I get to glory, that's the name I'm going to proclaim. That's the name with all the other redeemed. And so this morning, Father, we pray that we can grasp who this enemy is. We need to know. Where did he come from? Where is he at? What does he do? As we start on this journey, Lord, of this theology of, and what the Bible teaches, of who our nemes, enemy is, I pray, Father, that you help us get a healthy view, a biblical view, that we are not afraid. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. When Paul says put on the whole armor of God in verse 11 and we're going to get into that. I'm going to kind of put that aside for now because he goes on and he explains every piece of the armor and how to put it on and what it is that we're supposed to stand in. But his whole premise here is that to be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. And, and those are the things that Paul is trying to get across to us because the enemy, the devil, he is, he is out there, he is alive, he is, he is working in the schemes and he's been doing this for centuries. He knows a whole lot more than you do, beloved. He knows a whole lot more than I do, than any other pastor, than all the pastors of the world put together and they have no knowledge together in their own understanding except for what the Bible says. This is why we go to Scripture and so the one thing that we, we look to, the one thing that we focus on is God's word. It's got to be God's word. That's it. Everything else is just hearsay or everybody else's opinion, books, movies, whatever the case may be. And the place I want to turn to right now is in Revelation chapter 12. And this is the last book of the Bible. In Revelation chapter 12, if you would go there with me. And in chapter 12, we start to see, uh, well, what has already unfolded at this point that uh, how these seals have been Uh, opened up. There is a scroll that the Bible says that comes and everybody's looking at this scroll and John is saying, well, who's going to open the scroll? And there's weeping because nobody can open the scroll. Then there was one, like a lamb that was slain that came forward and he had the authority to open this scroll with seven seals. Now this scroll, as the Bible teaches us, is a very important document. It had to be a very important document because it had seven seals. Now in the day and age of the people that were reading this at that time, they understood that a seal was a very important symbol just like today before you can uh, before you can give any documents administer any documents to anybody it has to be sealed either with a notary uh, public that has to seal it proclaiming that this is not an authentic document or it has to be it has to be somehow authenticated in some way shape manner or form before you just take it and say oh okay I believe you it has to have some sort of a sealing, a, a marking. And back then it was just this, it was this wax that they would pour onto the document. After they scrolled it up, they rolled it up the scroll and they would pour it on the edges and they would seal it once. This is from uh, the landowner. This is from the king. This is from uh, the master of the house. And it's presented it to you. And generally, those documents were land documents. They were documents that were purchasing property from one person or a person uh, that they were purchasing. And so it was a very legal standing document. You put two seals on it. That was very important. This document has seven seals on it. And somebody is saying, "Okay, how do I open this? Who opens this? Who has the authority? Well, the Lamb of God does. And as he opens each seal, all of a sudden... The wrath of God just starts to pour out. You have the four horsemen of the apocalypse that first come out. And you remember the four horsemen. It's the white horse, the red horse, the black horse, and the pale horse. And they come out and they, and they start to unleash their power upon and, and their vengeance upon the world. And then you have the other seals that start to come out. And in the, after the seventh seal, and, and all these signs start to take place, the two witnesses, the seventh tru- and then the trumpets come out of the seventh seal, and the seventh, uh, trumpets are starting to blow out their vengeance. And then now at this point in chapter 12, there is a great sign in verse 1 that appears in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of 12 stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains and in the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads, ten horns on his head with seven diadems. A diadem is a crown. A diadem is, is, there's two words for crown. There's Stephanos. And diadem, Stephanos is the victor's crown. It was the crown that they would weave together with olive branches and put on the head of the victor, the one that got first prize. And it was more of a a symbolic gesture of saying this man is elevated because he is the strongest, the greatest. He's the man that is standing uh, here as the victor, the winner. The rider on the white horse, he comes riding on a white horse with the bow, no arrows, not a sword, with the bow and a crown, the Bible says. And that word crown is Stephanos, not a diadem, but a Stephanos. He is on a white horse. People believe it's Jesus. Jesus will not wear a Stephanos. He will wear a diadem. The Stephanos is saying that he is the king of the world, and white horse means peace, the man of peace. There's going to come a man of peace with the crown authority that has been given to him, a Stephanos, and with the bow, with no arrows, not a sword, but with the bow proclaiming peace. And we're going to have peace. For three and a half years, we're going to have peace. This is what this white horse is going to do, the symbolic picture of this white horse. Here we see a this dragon, and the, what John is trying to do is describe this being that he sees and in the worst vile way that he can. And, and a dragon is, is is an ugly beast. And, and the way he pictures him with these horns and these heads. And let's just go back over that again in verse 3. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns. These seven heads are the seven dynasties that have started from the very beginning of time until now. The seventh dynasty that has not yet been uh, unleashed yet is the dynasty that the Antichrist is going to be ruling over, and these and they have the 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 countries that and the dynasties that are listed, and you can see them in scripture as well as history as they unveil reveal them, and his tail and on his head he had seven diadems. Well, this this uh, dragon is going to have seven. Heads, seven dynasties, and his tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman and was about to give birth so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. This is Satan cast down from heaven took a third of the angels, standing before the woman. The woman is Israel. If this is not a real dragon, and a real beast in a sense. It's a picture of a beast. And so this woman is not an actual woman. She is Israel. Israel is always depicted as a woman. And she's about to give birth, birth to Jesus Christ. And this demon, this devil, this dragon wants to devour this child. He has been trying to stop, as I mentioned last week, he has been trying to stop God's purposes from the very beginning. He caused Adam and Eve to sin. He caused Cain to, to murder Abel. He caused the, the people of Noah's day to intermarry and just go wicked. And, and from, from that point forward, and even in the garden, he tempted Jesus Christ and he tried to have Jesus Christ just eradicated, erased. And he thought he won when he was crucified. Yet the dragon didn't realize on the victory that that was going to have. And so, since then, the dragon has been spewing out his anger and spewing out his rhetoric and, and spewing out hatred. And this dragon wants to kill. He wants to steal and he wants to destroy you, your family, your country, your, the world and take as many people with him as possible. And this dragon, his voice is everywhere. And in, unless you have the voice of God in your in your in your mind, unless you have the voice of God in your hand, unless you have the voice of God in your heart, unless you have the voice of God, you're not going to be able to tell the two. You're not going to be able to tell okay, which is right and which is not. Well, the Bible says in verse five, chapter 12, it says she gave birth to a male child. One who is to rule all the nations with the rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God and to his throne. And the woman fled to the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for 1260 days. That is three and a half years. And we won't get into that part of it uh, as of yet. But Jesus Christ was taken up, sitting at the right hand of the father, and he's ready to rule. And so, of course, the dragon is upset. Now, war arose in heaven. Michael, his archangels, fighting against the dragon. We don't know what kind of war this is, what time this war takes place, when. But it is believed that after these events had taken place, it is believed that during the rapture, as the saints are raptured up, the dead in Christ shall rise first. Those that have died in Jesus Christ. You know, there's there's a fallacy that everybody who dies goes to heaven, and it's not true. I've done a lot of funerals. And everybody, it doesn't matter how good or bad the person was, that person is in heaven just because they died. Bottom line, only those that claim the name of Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior are able to make it, make it into heaven. God is not father of everyone. He's only father to his children. And not everyone is a child. We know this by scripture. And so he is taken up and now the war that arose arose in heaven, Michael and his angels are fighting against the dragon. And so there is this belief or this understanding that during the rapture that there is a celestial war going on trying to keep the saints from heading up to heaven. And so what ends up happening is, as he goes on to say, and the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. At this point, like in Job, Satan roams the world. And he rolls, rolls the world and he's looking around and trying to see who, can, who he can devour. And he is trying to get, he's trying to uh, see how many people he can influence. How many people he can get into his army, into his, into his camp. And then he goes up to heaven and he's the accuser. He accuses the saints to God. Look at that. Look at that, Sal. He says he's a pastor. He says he's a preacher. Have you heard what he said? Have you heard what? Have you seen what he's done? That's what he does. And I'm convicted because of this spiritual warfare that's going on that it causes me to weep. And 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 this, this accusation, this accuser, this, this person slandering uh, God's chosen people. And finally, God says, OK, I've had enough. And at this point, what ends up happening in verse 9, And the great dragon was thrown down, the ancient serpent who was called the devil, and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world, was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. No longer does he have access to heaven. It's about to go down. Now, there's a lot more to the book of Revelation that I really wish I had the time to tell you. Maybe we need to get into a study of Revelation. I've really been looking at it. I've taught it at least three times already, and might be a good time to start it again. But but the, right now what I want to get into is is who this dragon is. He's called the dragon, okay? And in verse verse 9, this is a great example, a great, great depiction of who he is. Number one, he is the ancient serpent. The ancient serpent is the serpent that was in the Garden of Eden. In uh, Genesis chapter 3 verse 1, the serpent that deceived Eve. It is believed that maybe this serpent at that time or this dragon was on two feet. Kind of like the pictures you see on You know, some of these movies where this fire-breathing dragon comes out, something similar to that, a triceratops, I don't know. We don't really know. We don't have any pictures at that time. Nobody was taking selfies with their favorite dragon. Uh, There's movies, you know, but you know know what the movies all do. They depict Satan in this red suit, horns, claws, and and this is where they get the picture at. This dragon, this red dragon with with this tail, and so they they make this man-like dragon to be Satan with horns and fangs, and that's how we see Satan. We'll see as we move on through this theology of uh, in this understanding of Satan and what he really looks like, who he really is. This ancient serpent in, in Genesis 31, he, he's he's called the devil. Not only does he call him the great dragon, uh, but he's the ancient serpent who is called the devil. The devil is the is another word for slanderer, a defamer, a false accuser. That's what he's doing right now. He's before the Lord, accusing you to God. They don't know what they're doing. Look at them. I mean, they they're all just... Going off and doing whatever they want. God, really? This is who you died for? And he's good at what he does. I mean, I don't even have to say anything. And right away, you start to feel the guilt and the shame because you know what your secret sin is. Only you know. And guess what? So does the enemy. And he accuses you before God. And you wonder why it is that life is difficult in your, in, in your existence and why things just don't seem to go right. Well, first of all, it's because you're stuck in your secret sin. You're stuck there. And, and that, with that, there's plenty of We give Satan all the enemy he needs. Satan didn't make you do anything. All he has to do is watch you long enough. Ah, there it is. Oh, ah, there he goes again. Some people are just like, God, I don't even know why he saved this person. Is this guy really saved? And those are the thoughts that come into your mind. Those are the fiery darts that he's throwing at you. Those are the fiery darts that are coming. You, you doubt, you, you wonder, and those are some of the things that Satan does. He's accusing you to God. He's accusing you to each other. Dude, he, the dude doesn't like you. He does Really? That's how a brother treats a brother? That's how a wife treats a husband? A husband treats a wife? And he's accusing you to each other. And we start to get all hysterical because of these things, these accusations are are, are happening. What happened? Did he get too hot in your brother? (laughs) Did he get too hot? I'm just kidding. (laughs) I'm leaving. Don't go. Uh, (laughs) And he starts accusing you to each other. I'm sorry, I should have said that. You see? See what I mean? The devil, I know, I know. He's He's got a job to do. The devil, the slanderer, the defamer, the false accuser falsely accusing you may not be doing anything wrong you you might just be you know you might be trying to do the best you can yet he can dig up dirt somehow somewhere on your life and God says that's it I'm done you're out of here Satan is another word that is called here who is called the devil and Satan Satan is the adversary the enemy the opponent the one that's up against us the one that wants to wants to kill you he wants to destroy you your character your life He wants to take everything away from you. He wants to take all your happiness, your joy, everything away from you. He doesn't want you to know that God has the power. He doesn't want you to know that you have this power within you. He doesn't want you to believe that. As a matter of fact, the less you can believe, the better. And so Satan, he's your enemy. And he says, you know what? This is this is just you don't you don't want any of this. Don't even go to church. Why are you going to go to church for? They all know what you've said and done. If they don't know, I'll make sure they find out somehow. If they don't know, somehow they're going to find out. They're going to see you. The moment they see you, the moment they look at you, guess what? They're going to know. Nobody's going to know. Yeah, they're going to know. Nobody's going to know. They're going to know. They're going to know. You just wait and see. You think that's a TikTok video. That's Satan. They're going to know. No, nobody's going to know. Yeah, they're going to know. Satan is in your head telling you this. Don't go to church. You need, beloved, especially if you're a sinner. Well, all sinners I'm a sinner. I need to be here. I need to take what God is giving me. And, I, and I'm barely just scratching the surface into what I've understood about what Satan is all about and what God's grace is all about. And I just want to impart to you what the Bible says about who God is, what Jesus Christ has done, and how he's defeated the enemy. You see, because he calls him the deceiver of the whole world. The deceiver of the whole world. To lead astray and mislead and deceive. That's what he does. He's the deceiver. He deceives and he misleads and he leads astray. That's what he does. You know, after this, every time something happens in the world, you know, like for instance, when COVID hit, it's the end times, right, brother? I mean, the Bible talks about these diseases and famines and stuff that are going on in the land. It's the end time when there 's an earthquake or a tsunami it 's the end times. the Bible talks about the things that are happening in the world there'll be earthquakes in, in diverse places you know and when this war just started, I, I had somebody come up to me just recently say the same thing. you know you, you know the Bible says that, you know there's going to be wars and rumors of war and, and you know this I mean you, most of you understand that this is the, these are the things that are going to happen before the end comes and so when something cataclysmic happens or something uh, in the the government happens or something takes place and the first thing we think this has got to be it and we're so focused on the extreme and just so you know those are all just birth pangs those that's not the actual birth for for you ladies that have given birth you know that when you when there's conception there's this gestation period of nine months and you're not really experiencing all these birth pangs I mean there's discomfort there's a lot of discomfort but the birth pangs really don't start until you're ready to give birth. Amen? I mean, you have the Braxton Hicks things that happen to you, and they kind of, you know, they're not actual birth pangs. They, they identify them. But the birth pangs start to happen. when You start to dilate, you know, beyond your normal self. And that hurts. It's painful. And then to have this, this, this being, you know, just come out of your body, it's, it's a lot of pain. And so what Jesus Christ is talking, you know, and the best, probably the best way to describe this is if I had you go to Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24, what Jesus does, he explains to us what is going to happen at the end. When he's with his disciples, they're at the temple, and he sees the temple, and he shows them how beautiful it is and how big it is. And, and uh, you know, wow, this is, this is an awesome temple, Jesus, don't you think? And in verse, verse 1 of chapter 24, it says, Jesus left the temple and was going away when his disciples came to point out to him the building of the temple. They said, look, man, this is, this is great, man. Our forefathers put this together, and this, this is just a beautiful place. It's, look how awesome it is. And Jesus says to them, you see all these? Do you not Truly I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. This is a prophetic wording that took place in 70 A.D. Since the temple was, was kind of put together and interlaid with gold in between the stones, when they came and destroyed the temple, they wanted to get the gold out of the building. So they just started to knock down all the, all the stones. And that's exactly what came to be, as Jesus Christ said. You're going to see, not one stone will be left upon another. And everybody thought, how's that going to happen? You know, well, it has to probably at the end times. So he has an immediate prophetic word and a future prophetic word. His prophecy is immediate and it's also futuristic. And in verse 3, he says, they said to him, and he sat down on the Mount of Olives. The disciples came to him privately saying, tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? When you look at Matthew 24, You have to line it up with Revelation chapter 6. And everything that takes place in Matthew 24 is what takes place in Revelation 6 with the uh, four horsemen of the apocalypse. The peace and everything else that seems to be happening. The the, the white horse and uh, the man of peace. Here is the first sign that everybody, I don't think anybody's really come up to me and said, are we in the end times because of this? And this is one that people just overlook. And this is the first one that Jesus Christ talks about. Let me read that to you. And he says in verse 4, See that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ. And they will lead many astray. That is the first and foremost sign. Now this leading astray has been happening now for some time. And they've been laying the groundwork for this. And as I mentioned to you here just recently about the Great Reset, the Great Reset, one of the first things they're going to do is trying to get all these countries and all this money together and, and, and try to take everything away from everybody. Now, people that are involved in this resetting, they're not people that are committed to God or to Christ. As a matter of fact, to them, God doesn't even exist. And because God doesn't exist, then therefore they have to take control of the planet. And their idea is to make sure that we have plenty of resources for those that need to stay on this planet. Oh, by the way, they believe that only 100 million people should be on this planet. Now, I don't know if you know anything about numbers, but we have close to 7 billion people. 7 billion, that's, 1, 000, 1, 1, that's 101 million to 1 billion. It's a lot, okay, let me just put it that way. There's 7 billion people. And to them, they believe only 100 million people should be on the planet. That's as many people as this world can sustain. So to them, they're looking at the big picture. They're looking at, okay, let's try to get this under control. Because right now, it's just like overpopulation. You hear this all the time. And so what they're trying to do is try to save those that are going to be saved. And guess what, beloved? Unless you're one of the elite of the world that has all the money and all the control and all the power and all the say-so, you're not in it. And so, according to what they're trying to do, is they're trying to depopulate this planet. That's why we have green energy. That's why we have all these things that are going on right now. And this is a goal that they have set out for 2030, I believe, that they've been working on for some time. And they've been wondering, how is it that we're going to be able to get everything under one control? This is what they call the one world order. Well, the Bible calls it one world order. They also call it a one world order, one monetary order. They, they also call it that because they believe that they have to save this planet. And, and, and I know that some people are saving cans and recycling and, and buying electric vehicles. And, and it's, it's fine. It's good. But do not believe that you're going to save this planet. Because according to what I've read here, this planet is destroyed. And there is no cans that you, there are not enough cans in the world that you can save to save this planet. And now I don't mean to go out and trash the place either, you know, pick up where you are, where you've been and, you know, leave it as clean or cleaner than the time that you went in there. And when you leave, take care of your surroundings as well. But the deception The deception that is going in the government, the deception that is going on politically in the world, the deception that is going on in the banking industry, the deception that's going on in schools, all this deception, that is not what John is talking about. That is not what Jesus Christ is talking about. The deception that Jesus is talking about is within the church. He talks about this and he says, many will come in my name. And he says, these are Christians. These are so-called Christians, people people that say they are Christians. They will say that they are the Christ. They can do the things that I have done. There is a verse that people uh, hold on to. And the verse is, you know, you you will get to the point where you will be able to do more than I have been able to do. And I don't know how some people are able to interpret that. And they say, look, if Jesus did it, then I can do it and some. Really, I don't know how you can do more than Raising somebody from the dead. I mean, Jesus did that. Just rise. Talitha, rise. Child, rise. Son, rise. Lazarus, come out. That's as simple as it was. He had to call Lazarus by name because if he would have just said, come out. Everybody would have come out. He said, okay, I better stop. Lazarus. That's who I'm focusing on. You come out. And what happens after three days? He comes out. Now, I've yet to see or even read or even know people have claimed that they've done it, but there is no documented proof. You can't do it. It cannot be done for someone to say that they can do that. And and what Jesus is saying, you're going to do more than I can do. And they're trying to claim it, name it and all this other stuff. Beloved, it's not true. As a matter of fact, when Jesus is talking about doing more, he's not doing more in, in quality. He's doing more in quantity. You see, I've got 12 disciples. You're going to be able to raise 40 disciples. You're going to be able to to raise a church. People are going to come to a saving knowledge of, of who Jesus Christ is, who I am because of you, because of your ministry. He's talking about the quantity of reaching this world of people that are dying and going to hell every day. The greatest thing that you can do for anybody. Is not heal their sickness, not heal their eyesight, their blindness, or their, their lameness to be able to rise and walk again. The greatest you can do for a person is to give them and show them Jesus Christ an eternal life. To rescue them from this damnation that they're going to. The wrath of God is coming upon the ungodly. And to say that I can heal somebody. You know, one of the things that I've constantly said, at least in my life, And one of the things I've said is is that, you know, you can tell a false teacher and a false prophet by when they say something. Well, you know, before I even go there, let me just show you here what the verses say. Jesus goes on to say, number one, uh, that's the first thing in chapter four. And then in verse 11, in the same chapter, he says it again. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. It's like Jesus is trying to get this across to us. Be careful because. And then he goes on to say it again in verse 24, for false Christs and false prophets prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders these guys are going to do some great signs and wonders and people are going to say whoa that is so cool how did you do that and they're going to flock to these men and women because they prayed for you and the power is in them and they they receive all the glory they don't give god the glory so as to lead astray if possible even the elect if you're one of the elect these signs are going to be so convincing That it's going to be, if possible, to lead a person, even the elect, I was going to say a little while ago when I went, when I had the covid I got I got out of covid and I was home and, and, and I went out started to get out a little bit on my on my journeys and I was at this event that I went to and one pastor brother came up to me and, and when I was in the hospital I even talked to this I was ministering to this person that was in, in the bed uh, next to me and I was telling him I says you know Jesus Christ is a great healer if he wants to heal you he will but if he doesn't you know it's that's on him but he wants me here for a reason and for the reason that he wants me here is just to minister to you and that's all I'm going to do I'm going to minister to you I'm going to pray for you I'm going to pray for your family I'm going to pray that God uses this for his glory. And as I was praying for him and, and sharing with him, you know, both of us, you know, we could barely breathe. You know, we had to take breaks in between to be able to talk to one another and, and pray for one another. And I said to him, I says, look, you got to be careful. There's a lot of false prophets. How do you know? This is what well, one indication would be this. When you leave this place and you go back to your church or wherever you go and somebody comes up to you and says to you, thank God that you are healed. I knew you were going to be healed. I knew it, I knew it, I knew it. You are healed because I prayed for you. You see what that person just did? And this is what I I said to him. And the exact same thing happened to me at this event. Some pastor, this guy comes up and he starts, praise God, oh, I've been praying, I've been asking, and the reason you are healed is because I prayed for you. See, aren't I cool? He just took the glory away from God and placed it upon himself. And placed it upon himself. Now, you know, if, if he really could have healed me, I really would have wished he wouldn't have let me go to the hospital. You should have healed me before I went to the hospital. How about that? <laughs> that would be nice. I know people in the hospital now. Go pray for them. There is this idea. There is this thought. and this. Now, can God heal? Yes, he can. Will he heal? I'm sure he would. You know, but, but if that's the narrative if that's the uh example that we want to follow you you know and for some people they say well you know they can't be healed because they don't have enough faith they can't be healed because they don't trust they can't be healed because they don't believe they can't be healed because they're not just willing to to just submit well you know maybe and the faith that they don't have i guess paul didn't have much faith either paul prayed three times that whatever it was that was ailing him, Paul prayed three times. God, take this from me. He didn't try to bind the enemy. He didn't try to cast out the enemy. He didn't. Try, he knew it was a thorn from Satan, a messenger from Satan came to him, and he wasn't binding, praying, casting. He wasn't throwing out Satan. He prayed, God, take this away from me. God, take this away from me. God, take this away from me. And at the end, he says, I was given this malady, this sickness, to keep me humble. And therefore, when I am weak, there I am strong. And Jesus said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. Don't worry about your sickness. Don't worry about, and whatever it was that Paul had, I'm sure it was more than just a, a toothache or a bad back or bad knees or a headache. It had to be something that caused him to pray fervently for three, single t- three times. Personally, I believe that in this prayer, Paul probably fasted 40 days. You know, if I can just fast 40 days, God, you'll take this away from me. If I do it again, maybe, maybe the third time will be the charm. But at the end, God told him, my grace is sufficient. That's all you need. You just keep going. And he went with that infirmity to his death. The Bible doesn't tell us anything about him getting healed or taking away from him. Same thing would happen with Peter. I mean, I guess Peter didn't have enough faith because he didn't get saved from his maladies. You know, I could even push it as far as, well, then I guess Jesus didn't have enough faith. Oh, what are you trying to say, pastor? Well, wasn't he in the garden praying? So God, if at all possible, take this cup from me. Why didn't God take the cup from him? Why didn't he take it? You know, if God is the, the healer and, and the one that and he can, he could have and he would have. But the reason he didn't take that from him is because Jesus Christ, his very next words, proclaimed, not my will, but your will be done. He wasn't casting. He wasn't binding. He wasn't throwing out. And this casting binding and throwing out of Satan is, is unbiblical, beloved. You're going to go through struggles. You're going to go through pains. You're going to go through str- strife. And if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, beloved, just be warned. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. And if it's not happening, you need to stop and ask, okay, well, why isn't it happening? Why is everything seems to be going so good? Well, I, examine your life. Peter says, you know, we should examine ourselves to see that we are in the faith. We should examine ourselves. How is he going to lead people astray? Well, number one, by proclaiming to be Jesus. Number one, he will lead many astray, number one, by proclaiming to be Jesus. Satan is going to have his nemesis come up. There's three. The Antichrist, false prophet, and the beast. The beast, the Antichrist, and the false prophet. And uh, the dragon which is the voice of the dragon, he's, he's going out there and, and he's speaking through some. And Jesus even said in Luke 21, see that you are not led astray for many will come in my name saying, I am he and the time is at hand. Do not go after them. But, but, but there's wars and rumors of wars, there's earthquakes, there's famines, there's diseases and all these things. And all we have to do is just bind and rebuke and, and you know, just, just wait upon the Lord. And if you do this, all this COVID would be gone. There were pastors, I, I kid you not, there were pastors literally on TV, COVID, you're gone. It's gone. And they would just blow it away. Okay, let's try it again. Let's try. And, and, and these so-called prophets, beloved, these so-called prophets, they would stand there with the audacity saying, you know, we don't always get it right. We don't always get it right. And, and sometimes they don't. See, number two, another way that this, they're going to be deceived is by promising a good life. If you remember in Ephesians chapter 5, we talked about, Paul, we talked about this sexual immorality and, and all these things that are going on. And, and Paul says, don't, don't hang out with those people. He says, let no one deceive you with empty words in the church. They're saying sexual immorality is okay in the church. And Paul is saying, don't do that. You know, what do you mean sexual immorality is okay? It, it, homosexuality? No, it's not. Sexual immorality is not right. The church should be pure. You are the bride of Christ. How can you offer the groom a defiled bride? doing whatever she wants to do. Paul says, let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. We hold a high view of God. And because we hold a high view of God, we also hold a proper view of man. And we know that man is a sinner and God is holy. And because God is holy, then we will call out sin where sin is. We're not going to say, well, it's okay. I know you're a work in progress and God is working on you. Eventually he'll get you. No, either you're saved or you're not. And if you're going to come to church or if you're going to go to a church and, and defile another person, you see, bad company always corrupts good character. It doesn't work the other way around. You know, I think that by hanging out with these people, maybe they might get a glimpse of who Jesus Christ is. No, I get sucked into what they're doing. They don't get sucked into what I'm doing. Unless you share the gospel. Brother, you are in sin. And the wrath of God is upon you. And you will die in your sin. And you will spend all eternity in hell if you don't repent. Just as simple as that. One of two things are going to happen. They're going to say, you know what, you're right. What do I need to do? Repent. What must I do? Repent. Or they're going to say, you know what, you get out of here. I love my sin so much. I know what Jesus Christ did. I know that he died on the cross. But you know, to me right now, my sin is more important than what Jesus Christ has done. My sin is is more important. My sin is more valuable to me. What I want to do is more, maybe later, they don't understand the grace of God. Number three, by pretending to hear from God. They will deceive people by saying, well, God said thus and thus, or thus says the Lord. And the God said that I should tell you. People have come up to me many times and says, you know, God told me to tell you. And they tell me some things that are kind of, okay, well, whatever. You know, some things are just far out there. I says, wow, you know, I met with God this morning and he said nothing to me about that. So I don't know what he told you. I don't know who you're talking to. And they come out and they say, thus says the Lord. Here, you want to know what thus says the Lord is right here. Give us a new revelation. Give us a revelation. Have you even read the revelation of God? Give us a revelation. Give us a a fresh revelation. Give us a fresh word. You know, when you open yourself to a fresh word, beloved, you're opening yourself up to so many different things. Satan is ready to deceive. He'll give you a fresh word. And it'll sound so good. And it'll sound so right. And you will receive a fresh word. You see, when people are pretending to hear from God, now, this is why you need to know this. If somebody tells you what the Bible says, okay, well, you know that's, you're, you're, that's, that's it's right on. You know what you're saying is good, and, and if somebody has to tell you what God is saying, then you know what you have is good enough. But when they go contrary to God's word, and how would you know? Unless you have God's word in your hand. You see, in Jeremiah's day, he says, "For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel: Do not let prophets." And your diviners who are among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams that they dream, for it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. And you know how you can tell? Because they tell you, the Bible tells you. If a a man comes to you, if a prophet comes to you, and he says, thus says the Lord, and it happens, and thus says the Lord. Yeah, well, that's what the Bible says. Yeah, I, I get it. Back then, they didn't have the Bible. Today, we have a Bible. We don't need outside revelation. We don't need other voices. Because the moment you open yourself up to outside revelation, then therefore, beloved, you're getting all kinds of stuff. We believe in this. This is called a closed canon. This is called closed revelation. This is the revelation of God's word. We have not yet depleted every word that God has given us. How can I even ask for something more if I'm not even willing to, dis- to dive into and discern and to memorize and to see what God's already told me? There might be other stuff out there, but right now I have this. There might be something that God wants to share with me, but if it doesn't line up with his word, I've got to question it. Because why would God say one thing here and then say something else to that group or that group or that group? Why is everybody so divided? Why don't we just stick to what the word says? And here's how you know. If a person comes up to you and says, thus says the Lord... And it, and it happens in them, well, thus said the Lord. But if a person comes up to you and says, thus says the Lord, and it doesn't happen. Then you stone them. And not with drugs. With real rocks. You get rid of them. Don't listen to those liars. The best thing, the best thing for you to do for your community is to just get rid of them. And, and what some of these pastors and preachers are doing as they proclaim that they're healing and doing this. And they've already said in this new movement, it's called the NAR, New Apostolic Movement or uh, Reformation, NAR, New Apostolic Reformation. And they claim to be apostles. Well, beloved, there was only 12 apostles. The Bible says so. You had to be present. You had to witness. You had to be under the, the teaching of Jesus Christ. There were only 12. Uh, the prophets are no longer needed because we have the word of God. God's already spoken to us through the word of God. We don't, we've, we've gone through this already. And and this new apostolic reformation. They say, well, you know, some of us can get it 60% of the time. Some of us can get it 70% of the time. Not all of us get it 100% of the time all the time. We don't. That's a sure sign of a false prophet. A prophet gets it right all the time. 100%. Either you are, you're not. And they pretend to hear from God. They're hearing from something. They're hearing from someone. And this false... Teaching this deception that has been going on now for years, and it's ramping up, and people are whipping themselves in a frenzy. Now we talked about how the church in Ephesus would whip themselves in a frenzy, and how they would get get all this uh, supposed new revelation and this divine hearing, and they would whip themselves up, and and they would be ecstatic and and just going nuts. And Paul saying, "Don't do that. Stay away from that. Get that out of your community." Focus on the word. Go by the word that I shared with you. If an angel or another prophet or anybody comes up to you with anything else than what I've taught you, they need to be cursed. Anathematized is the word. Cursed beyond cursing. You curse this person and you beat him up and you stomp him down. You dig him in a grave. You pull him back out and you curse him again. This is the type of cursing that Paul says don't. Even if it was an angel. We talked about Angels. People believe that they're all over the place. They are, but they won't talk to you, and if they do, they're not going to tell you something contrary to God's word. By pretending to hear from God. Number four, by persuasive speech. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. There are a lot of philosophical discourses that happen and, and they, they want to share with you and how to be financially sound in 2022 how to raise your children and steps that you need to take well those are all fine and good they are but the pulpit needs to be a place where the pastor and the man of God shares with you what sin what the Bible says what the Bible says about sin and that you need to repent the gospel of Jesus Christ never ever gets old Jesus Christ died for your sin. And because he died for your sin, you are to walk the walk that is worthy. You're not supposed to, well, maybe so dilly-dally here and there. You know, maybe today, maybe tomorrow. I don't know. No. Repent. That's not a request. That's not even, I'm not even saying, you know, this is a possibility. This is a command. Repent. Now. Don't wait till later. Repent now. I'll give you some Ideas and okay, but when when we talked about and we went through it, children don't exasperate. Obey your parents. Parents don't exasperate your children. Well, how do parents exasperate kids? Well, and I went through some steps. Here's how some parents exasperate children. I've talked to you about what the Bible is teaching, and some people don't understand what that word exasperation don't prompt them to anger. How do I do that? You mean I'm doing that? Yeah. Well, if you're doing this, this, and this, children, how do you obey your parents? Well, you need to obey them because that's a promise God said honor them. That's a, that's a promise that is going to give you life. That's between life and death. And it's in the top 10. As a matter of fact, it's the top five. And so children, if you're not obeying your parents and honoring your parents, and not just when you're children, but when you're young adults and when they're older and you're an older adult. And I went through some steps on, on how it is that you are to honor your parents. Now, those things do come up, but that's not the focus of this pulpit. This pul- focus of this pulpit is to proclaim to you the Word of God. And the Word of God says to not... Let these things just come in that you need to stand firm because the devil is a the ancient serpent. He wanted authority right from the beginning. He's he's the slanderer. He's the enemy and he's deceitful. And there are deceitful speeches out there. People speaking in such a way that they just draw people away from God's word. Paul said himself in 1 Corinthians 2, "I wish with you. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in the demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. I don't want to share with you my smarts and my education and my degrees and you know, I I don't want to do that. I don't want to share with you guys on philosophies and of this world." You go to any psychiatrist with an issue, with the problem. They'll tell you, yeah, well, you have a problem. You know, this is what I think we should do. You go to another psychiatrist. Yeah, well, this is the problem, and these are the things that you should do. And you go to, every psychiatrist is going to give you a different diagnosis. Their goal is to keep you sick. Their goal is to keep you coming back. Come back next week for another hour. Come back the following week. We're almost there. Come back the following week. And, you know, I, I don't mean to disparage those that go to counseling, which, I, you know, there, there's times that you need. And you go to doctors, and you got to be careful. And, okay, you know, I'm having a hard time dealing with this. Uh, people would come to me and, and want me to counsel them. And finally, I just said, you know what, I'm not, I'm, no longer, I'm not a family counselor. I'm not a marriage counselor. I'm not a counselor. I'm a theologian. And I'm going to tell you what the Bible says. And here's what the Bible says, you know. I'm having trouble. My boyfriend just doesn't like me, and I don't know what to do. He says, well, where's your boyfriend live? Well, we live together. Oh, okay. Uh, and as long as this has been going, about three years, so I don't know what to do. I says, well, what do you think you should do? I said, well, I mean, maybe we should get married. Well, that's true, but are you guys not married? No. What do you think you should do? I, you know, I think we should get married. So what are you going to do? He says, well, I think I'm going to pray about it. You're going to pray about the sin that you're in, and you know that God doesn't want you to be in that sin. Are you going to pray about that? That just does not make sense. How can you pray about something that God is telling you directly, don't do it? You know, but that's how some psychologists are. I've been going to this chiropractor now for a few days and you know, actually a few weeks. And I, I says, my pain, is it hasn't gone away. Oh, it's never going to go away. I go, what do you mean it's not never going to go away? No, your bone is fused. You got you got a bone issue. Uh, your neck is, is cracked it or something and and it's depleted and it's calcified and so it's going to hurt you for a long time i go oh okay why i've been coming here hopefully you can take care take away my pain all i can do is manage it well you've already managed it i've the exercises you give me the ointments that i put on it's already managed No, oh, no but you need to come back because i just put a deposit down on my boat and uh, no he didn't say that but you need to keep coming back <laughs> no i'm if, if all you're going to do is help me to manage it it's done it's managed. I can turn my head now, you know, I don't have to worry about, you know, riding on my motorcycle and that big old helmet just jiggling on my head. I know how to fix it now. Thank you. I thought maybe you were going to get rid of it. No, they can't get rid of that unless you get operated and this and that and all kinds of stuff. Then, OK, you've did you've done your part. Paul says, I didn't come to you in persuasive speech. I came to you, he says, demonstrating the demonstration of the spirit of the power so that your faith might not rest on wisdom of men, but on the power of God. I didn't come to you by what happened to me. And But what I can do, I'm telling you what God did in my life, and he can do it in your life. And the last thing I want to share with you is by, they, they, they go in and uh, they're tied up with the rest of it. Deception will come in by permitting sin. Little children, Paul, uh, John says, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous, and he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. See, the works of the devil are, are, amount, are around us. This whole deception, everything that's been going on in our lives and in this world, and that is now, you've got to base it on what the Bible says. If what you're hearing from the preacher, if what you're hearing from the pulpit, if what you're hearing is the word of God, and you know, it may not sound good. You may not like it. You might geez, man, this guy's always talking about sin, sin, sin. Well, guess what? Because we're sinners, and we need to get, and the moment you stop sinning, you're going to realize, wow, now I, I, I feel refreshed. doesn't mean that everything's going to work out well. As a matter of fact, the stronger you get in the Lord, the more the oppression's going to come. But you're able to stand firm with the full armor of God on, with the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth, your feet shod in the gospel of peace, with the shield of the sword, which is the shield of faith, and your sword, which is the word of God. This is your weapon. You want to know how to use this? James says in 4, seven, stand firm and resist the devil. When you resist him, not fight him, not bind him, not cast him, not throw him out. When you resist him, the Bible says he flees. It's as simple as that. You don't need a conference for that. You don't need uh, an exorcist. You don't need somebody to come up to you and tell you, you know, this is, these are the steps you need to take. You just stand firm in God's word. And when you're suited and booted, when you're suited and booted, standing firm, then whatever he throws at you, you're going to say, God is my fortress, my refuge. God is my all strength and power. And I can stand here and nothing will move me because I'm standing on solid rock. Amen. Amen. You see, we we need to know where he's coming from. Where did he come from? I'm going to share that with you next week. We need to know what he's doing. What is he doing right now? Well, I shared a little bit about that right now. And is he working in these nations? You know, and we'll talk a little bit more about that. How is he working and what is he in control of? What is he up to? And we have all these ideas, but let me share with you what the Bible says about who your nemesis is. Because once you understand him, once you see him, you'll be able to say, OK, I can hear that's the voice of the dragon. And many of us have fallen prey to the voice of the dragon. See, God's political system is not of this kingdom. Is not of this world. He's not a Democrat. He's not a Republican. He's not, any, he's not in the United States or Ukraine or anywhere else. His government is the government that rests upon the shoulders of Jesus Christ. And that's the government that we belong to. The government of peace. Let me ask you to stand. Father in heaven, I want to thank you once again for your word that is truth. And Lord, we need to be ready. We need to have your voice in our heart, in our mind, in our ears. Your voice that comes through your pages has to be seated way deep down within our heart. So when the voice of the dragon starts to creep up, wherever it's at, that we can decipher that if it is you or if it's the dragon. Father in heaven, I know that each one here desires to please you and you only. And I know that we've been all influenced in one way, shape, or form. And I pray, God, that we repent. That we repent and turn to you, the one voice, the one God, the one king, and only king. Because your word is the one that rules. And Father, when we listen just to one voice and one word, everything else just falls to the wayside. When we know the authentic word, your authentic word, the word... Of God that has been placed before us, and we meditate upon your word. It's easy to spot all the false falsehood. It's easy to spot all those that are fraudulent. It's easy to spot all the counterfeit. So thank you, Father, once again. I pray that you dismiss us now in your peace and and continue to hold us close to you as we gather around your table, around your uh, and we fellowship together. And you strengthen us and encourage us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Amen.